Your bulletin has a mark in it this morning saying that we are recognizing the National Youth Gathering uh, group that we have. That was actually at the 930 service, but just for a little update for our congregation, we do have a group of about 30 uh, students and chaperones that will be attending the National Youth Gathering this year. That is a gathering that is held every three years uh, by our Synod, in which Lutheran churches from all across America gather in different areas to be able to come together and hear more about the Lord, to worship together, and to be able to grow in their faith. Uh, This year there's an expected attendance of about 27,000 of our high school youth that will attend, and they will all be in New Orleans together. So if you are going to New Orleans next week, you picked the wrong time to be able to go. With that, we begin our message this morning, and if you are usually here on a weekly or bi-monthly basis, and you see me on a a normal amount of time, and you and I have a relationship together, you probably notice there's something a little different about me today. Uh, It isn't that I lost weight, unless you're talking about my face. I did shave a very, very uh, different item in this week, but I did so to draw attention to something. Did you know that I now need to confess unto you today for what I have done? Did you know that? Let's look at a law that is written for us in Scripture in the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 27. Have you ever seen this before? Do not cut the hair at the sides of your head or clip the edges off your beard. So I come here this morning asking you for forgiveness and hoping that all the other clean-shaven sinners among me will do the exact same. Why is this in the Bible? Why is this in there? What an interesting piece of Scripture. A statute that wasn't created by man. This is the Lord speaking directly to his people of a statute, of a law that he gives unto them. Why would he provide this? You know, sometimes people look at us as Christians and I think they may think, that we are selective in the laws that we follow and the laws that we don't follow because they see something like this and then see us picking and choosing, if you will, other commands. Maybe even myself and you as Christians, at times we become a little confused and we think to ourselves, well, since Jesus uh, conquered everything through his New Testament sacrifice, through his life on the cross, through his death that he provided and his resurrection, we don't have to worry anymore about all these different laws. Isn't that right? But the truth is sometimes we try to pick and choose these rules as we want to, but what rules and what laws are we to follow. After all, this one seems so silly. Maybe it's because it is so old that this law was created millennia ago for people, and so maybe that's why it seems so silly. After all, our government wouldn't create any silly laws like this today, would they? Well, I did a little bit of research just to look up some interesting laws that we have for ourselves today. Did you know that in the state of Oregon, It is illegal to bring a bear with you to the beach. Can you believe that? To bring a bear with you to the beach. Did you know that in the city of Chicago, if you are snoring, it is mandatory. This is a law that if you are snoring, your windows have to be closed and locked in your house for you to be able to snore. Did you even know that in uh, the small city that I found of Rockville, Maryland, it is mandatory for churches to have spittoons within their sanctuary for their members. These laws all seem silly, but all laws that are currently on the books for today 
And so maybe this makes the law that we looked at not so silly anymore. You know, many years ago, a beard was a status symbol of a man. It was actually an extension of who they were. People would be punished by having their beards cut down or shaven off, and people would also be able to pull pieces of their beard out or shave it in a certain way during times of mourning to express unto others what they were going through. In fact, in our text for today that we look at this small, silly-looking piece of scripture, it was often very uh, known at that time that many people, as the status symbol, would cut off edges of their beard and they would give them away to false gods or to false idols as a sacrifice unto them. That they would lift these things up as part of their sacrifice. And this is why the Lord tells his people at that time that he wishes for them not to do these things. Just as he tells you and I not to give things unto false gods or unto false idols It's interesting when you look at these in context because we see that the Lord has a reason for these things. Just as with those silly laws that I just read for you, I can only assume that some point in Oregon's history, somebody attempted to bring a bear to the beach. I can only assume that there is somebody out there that snores really loud that likes to sleep with their windows open in Chicago. And I can only assume that there is a congregation somewhere in Rockville, Maryland, that really likes their chewing tobacco. These, all, all these laws seem so silly until we look at them in context. And it's so important every time we look at Scripture to remember what is the context that is there. What is being provided for us to be able to say, what is the Lord telling me today? What is he honestly giving to me into his word? Not what do I want from it. Not what am I taking from it. What is the Lord sharing with me? And so today we look at God's law always coming with a purpose. And sometimes we may disagree with his laws or may want to alter them or they don't seem so friendly to us, but they are God's laws. And sometimes we think about those things and we may even question God. Why is this, Lord? In our gospel text for today, we see that the Pharisees and the Sadducees are guessing, second-guessing Jesus. They are questioning him in our text. Let's look again briefly at that text this morning. Again, from the book of Matthew chapter 22. It says, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, this would basically be an attorney, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Which is the greatest commandment in the law? During this time, the Pharisees really liked to focus on those laws. In fact, there were 613 different laws that the Pharisees were uh, enacting every single day and trying to be able to get themselves and the people to be able to follow. Remember, always thinking that if we follow these laws, then we will be saved. If we do these things, somehow we can earn for ourselves an eternal life. And they're thinking about these laws today, and they come to be able to test Jesus, asking, what is the greatest commandment? Because these Pharisees and Sadducees also like to have different levels for these laws, thinking that some were a greater violation, and others, while still important, were a smaller violation and smaller in nature. There were all different types of laws. 
Some of these laws would have been uh, ceremonial, in which the people of Israel would have been kept separate, if you will, from the Gentiles. That The Lord asked them to do certain things to be able to separate themselves, to keep themselves holy. Some of these laws would have been civil or judicial laws. Laws in which the people had to follow, maybe that had to deal with uh, somebody breaking a certain law and a punishment that was to follow, or even laws within their own business of how to create different transactions. And then beyond that, would have been moral law. Laws that not only the people of Israel were called to follow, but all people were called to follow. Laws that aren't only uh, for people back in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, but that expand throughout all of history and all of time. Laws that actually adhere to me and to you. And within this grouping would be those Ten Commandments that you and I have today. The Ten Commandments. Something that is, seems so old at times, but something so fresh in our lives, too. Today, we're going to focus a little bit on those Ten Commandments and think to ourselves, what is the significance that they hold in our lives today? We talk a lot about the gospel. We talk a lot about Christ coming unto us and the sacrifice he made. But why did he do that? We know that we are sinners. We confess that in our prayer this morning. We came to the altar in a time of communion together to be able to receive that forgiveness of sins from our Lord through his body and his blood. But how do we act in our past and also in our future? What do we need forgiveness from? What are those laws in our life? Remember, we're in this series right now of God Connects, of how we hear about God coming unto you and I to be able to connect with his people. That is the story of the Bible, that God comes to people throughout all time, throughout all space, being able to Put his will down upon us to be able to pull us closer with him, to connect with him. And so today we're going to see another video from our God Connects series and Pastor Greg Seltz from the Lutheran Hour Ministries thinking about the law and thinking about the Ten Commandments and what that means in our life. So I draw your attention to the screens at this time. Courtrooms. Courtrooms are intriguing places, aren't they? Every day, courtrooms are filled with powerful human drama as testimonies are heard, accusations are raised, and life and death verdicts are made. Now imagine for a moment that instead of just watching the case, you are the defendant and the jury is about to reveal the verdict. Would you be confident of your innocence or fearful that you may be found guilty? We know that for the sake of order, there must be rules and criminals must be punished. Otherwise, absolute anarchy and chaos would reign. In 2008, federal researchers determined that there were over 4,000 crimes listed in the United States Code. Well, God gave us his laws in only 10 commandments. And God didn't just give us a list of commandments to ruin our fun or to imprison us with feelings of guilt and despair. God gave the commandments to everyone, even those who don't believe in him. To avoid behaviors that are harmful to ourselves and others, that first function then is called a curb. The Ten Commandments, though, also help us clearly see our true condition before God, that we are guilty of sin. That function of the Ten Commandments is often called a mirror. Third function of the Ten Commandments is that it then is a guide for believers to understand what is pleasing to God as they live out their lives. 
But what would be the verdict if you were accused of breaking the Ten Commandments? Keep in mind, unlike the law of the land, which threatens to punish you if you do the wrong thing, God's law also says that you're guilty if you don't do the right thing. So let's take a look at all the commandments and see if we're innocent or guilty. Remember, you are the defendant. Count one, you shall have no other gods. It's required that we fear, love, and trust in God above all things and not hold anyone or anything as important as him. Innocent or guilty? Count two, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. This requires that God's name is held in reverence and only used in ways worthy of its honor. Innocent or guilty? Count three, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. This requires that we faithfully worship God and that we gladly hear and learn more about him through the Bible. Innocent or guilty? Count four, honor your father and mother. This requires that parents and all other authorities are honored, loved, and obeyed at all times. Innocent or guilty? Count five, you shall not murder. This requires not only that we do not end the life of others, but that all human life is held sacred and that every effort is made to preserve the life of the weak and the sick, those in danger, and even those yet to be born innocent or guilty count six you shall not commit adultery this requires that God's good gift of sexuality is expressed exclusively within the marriage of a man and a woman for life not only in our actions but also in our thoughts innocent or guilty count seven you shall not steal this requires that we do not try to get anything that belongs to others. Rather, we assist them in getting possessions and keeping them. Innocent or guilty. Count eight. Do not bear false testimony against your neighbor. This requires that we do not gossip or lie about others. Rather, we must speak kindly of other people and only say things that protect their reputations. Innocent or guilty. Counts nine and ten. Do not covet. This requires that we do not burn with envy over anything that belongs to our neighbors, whether it's the people in their lives or even their property, innocent or guilty. You know, it's one thing to be charged with a crime in a court of law and have the opportunity to plea bargain. But with a just God, a God of perfect justice, there is no bargaining. We don't have the right to say, but, but I'm certainly not as bad as Hitler. Doesn't that count for something? Well, no, it doesn't. The Bible says for whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles in one point, he's guilty of it all. God is just. He must punish sin. It's looking pretty grim, isn't it? It is, except for one thing. Don't forget that God really cares about you. While God is just, he is also merciful. He has a solution. The sin will be punished, but with someone else taking it. God sent Jesus to take our punishment, and Jesus did so willingly. So what should have been your punishment for not keeping the commandments? It was no less than death, eternal death, being separated from God forever. But just before you're to be sentenced, Jesus trades places with you, and he dies for you. 
The Bible says he forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. And he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Wow. Did you hear what the scripture just said? Do you hear what I'm saying to you right now? The price for your sins has already been paid. God has declared you not guilty. By the price paid by Christ on the cross, you are free. Case closed. When we take time to be able to examine ourselves truthfully amongst those laws, it can seem bleak. It can seem like there is no coming back from those things because we recognize that all of us here have broken all ten of those commandments. We have, except we are sent this son, this one and only individual, to be able to give us freedom from that guilt. Not that we should never pay attention to those commandments again, but that we should know them and remember what they mean in our life. Because you and I may not be subject to a a lot of those different laws in the Old Testament that are ceremonial or judicial, but we have our own laws today in which have been created to be able to protect us as a society. We also still have those laws of God, that moral law that has been given unto us. And from time to time, we do try to justify our behavior. Things that we say, things that we do, maybe things that we don't do that God calls us to be able to do either for him or for our neighbor. But our life isn't about justifying our behavior. Our life isn't about trying to feel good for ourselves or trying to constantly build up who we are. Our life is summed up in these commandments that we received this morning. Remember, God gives these to us out of love. That's how he summarizes all of the Ten Commandments, that he gives them to us out of love. Just as a parent asks a child to do certain things that are beneficial for them, even if the child does not know that, to be able to protect them, to be able to vindicate them, to be able to lift them up. Even Jesus is that perfect example. In the book of John, Jesus is attending the festival of tabernacles, we are told. And as he's attending this festival, he steps away for a little while to be able to go to the temple and to be able to teach. As he's teaching the people at the temple, the people are amazed by the words that Jesus has to be able to share with them. In particular, they are amazed because he is untaught. The question that they ask is, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? He doesn't have a teacher. How does he know about these things that he is sharing? This is Jesus' response. Again, John chapter seven, or excuse me, 17, verse 16. Jesus answered, My teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. Jesus Christ, the one you and I declare as being our Savior, the only one that has ever lived and ever will live that claims that title of being God's one and only Son. Did you hear his words today? Out of all people, Jesus should have been the one that would have had the authority to be able to alter the words of Scripture. 
to be able to tell us something different, to be able to say, this is how it is now. This is what I'm coming to tell you. But even Jesus himself points to the Father and says, I have come to do his will, to do his bidding. And then he tells each and every one of us, you have been called to do the same. Not to lift ourselves up, but to glorify God, to follow the law that he has given to you. And this isn't just for us as Christians or for us here at Shepherd, but for all people, for all cultures, that these Ten Commandments aren't to be broken, they aren't to be bent, they aren't to be gone around, that they are what they are. They are God's word delivered unto you and I. And sometimes we still may question God. But again, Jesus reiterates this again in our text for today. Remember the question that he has asked. What is the greatest commandment in the law? Let's review his answer one more time. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. Greatest commandment in the law, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. When Jesus mentions that all of the law and all of the prophets, he talks about all of those Old Testament books. Those first five books that we entitle about being the books of the law, all the other books that we entitle about being major and minor prophets, that all of the law, that all of the words of the prophets hang on these things of love. Love is the first and foremost thing that God demands of you and I today. It was the first thing that he demanded of Adam and Eve at the very beginning of time as we know it in the garden. And it's still the process that we're under today of being able to figure this out, that this is the greatest command, to love him above all things and to love our neighbor as ourself. You know, it's good that this Sadducee and Pharisees come and this teacher of the law questions Jesus today because through his question, even though he means it to be able to test Jesus, you and I receive an answer. And it's a special answer that we get today. A response that shares hope to those who may be hopeless. It's a message of direction and discernment in times of division within our nation. It's even a word of comfort and a course of action to those across our world who are devastated by violent acts of others. Because we may sit back and think to ourselves after hearing this text, if we as a race could just follow those two commandments, if only we could love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and then followed by that, love our neighbors as ourselves, everything would be great. If we could only do that, but we can't. We can do our best, and we can't. But again, that's why God sends us his best. That he sends us his one and only son. That we are forgiven through Jesus. That we are declared not guilty every time we have broken those ten commandments. Because of his death and his resurrection, we become heirs to eternal rest because of God's love. Today, you and I have heard from the word of the Lord. We have heard both his law given in his love and also his gospel given in his love. 
And may we now respond to him in being able to go out loving our God and loving our neighbor. Let's pray. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, uh, this morning as these words impress upon who we are as Christians, uh, we ask that we will be bold to continue to declare your truth even when tempted not to do so. That, Lord, we know your love, as we heard in that video, was pronounced in your law, not to be able to ruin our fun, but to be able to protect us and guide us and to be able to show us our sin. Why? So we can know who your son is. Lord, empower us through your spirit to be able to go out and share of these things, that we are on this journey, on this road that leads to you and to forgiveness through your son. All these things we lift in his holy and precious name. Amen.